What is going on, everybody? Jamie Shaw here on the Absolute Basketball Podcast. And on today's episode, we have the University of South Carolina assistant coach, Chuck Martin, on the episode. Very excited for you guys to listen to what Chuck has to say. Some great stories about um, how he recruits and building relationships. Um, he, he goes into something about uh, Coach Cal, some stuff about Bru- Bruiser Flint. Um, and just about how building relationships and all that kind of stuff within the recruiting process and, and just an overall life. Um, very good, very tutorial, very, very story. Um, great takeaways coming from here as well. Very excited for you guys to listen to it. Um, before we get into it, if you would, please go ahead, mash the subscribe button to this podcast. If you would, go ahead, rate it five stars. And if you would, uh, let us know in the comments what you enjoyed um, about this. That would be great. But without further ado, here is... Chuck Martin from the University of South Carolina on the Absolute Basketball Podcast with Jamie Shaw. Thank you guys very much. This is the this is the start of my fourth season at South Carolina, but the beginning of my 22nd collegiate season, um, which is amazing to me because years ago, I just thought I was going to be a high school teacher. I was a high school teacher for seven years. I taught uh, four years at LaSalle Academy in the Lower East Side in New York City. And then I went back to my alma mater and taught three years at St. Raymond's High School uh, in the Bronx. And, and I, was, I was happy, I was content uh, doing that. And then I got the coaching bug like most of us do. And uh, before you know it, I got my first job at Manhattan College with a guy named Bobby Gonzalez. Then I hooked up with Bruiser Flint at UMass, followed him to Drexel, went back to New York City, St. John's, uh, hooked up with Cal at, um, at Memphis, Got an opportunity to be a head coach at Marist College. And then I was out for a year. And that year was a critical year for me because I spent the year with the Oklahoma City Thunder. I was not coaching. I was in the front office. And that helped me um, pivot in how I gather information and how I use it to my advantage or our advantage in recruiting. And then I hooked up with uh, Tom Crean after the OKC experience at Indiana for three years. And here I am at South Carolina. So that being said, in my 22 years, um, the one thing that really stands out is um, information is key, right? Which, which I'm preaching to the choir. You guys know that. As you're trying to build a program, you're trying to establish relationships, you're trying to recruit, you're trying to get that player. Um, information is key. But here's the, the thing that I've learned. It doesn't come with instructions. And that's really, really critical. Like information doesn't come with instructions. So if you misuse it, you don't know how to use it. You don't even understand that that's critical information. You're dead in the water. You're not going to win that battle, that recruiting battle. You're not going to get that guy. Um, The second thing, right? So the first thing is it doesn't come with instructions. That's on you to try to figure out how am I going to use this information to my advantage to to build that relationship with the family, with the kid, with the high school coach, with the AAU coach, with the community. The second thing is, which is really critical, which is fascinating to me, and and I think I learned more about this this concept through OKC when I spent time with um, Troy Weaver and and Sam Presti is that information doesn't come with with a warning sign. Like, like, there's no heads up. It's not coming tomorrow at 10 a.m. So it's unpredictable when it comes and it's unpredictable in the form it takes. 
So for example, you walk into a gym and you're going to recruit this big time player that you think is going to help your program. And, and immediately there's a bias and you look at two or three guys and you pick one or two and say, those are the two guys for whatever reason in your mind, those are the two or three guys that are going to help me with the information. Meanwhile, the guy that really controls the room is a five foot nine, 120 pound sophomore who's the manager. He knows the deal. So information comes with no warning and it comes in different packages. And you've got to be alert to that. You've got to be aware of that. And if you're not aware of that, information is going to just kind of, you know, come and go without you even realizing it, it's right in front of you. Um, <clears throat> and as I mentioned earlier, it, it's, it's unpredictable information. And that's, that's, that's important. It, it's unpredictable in every sense of the word. Um, when they're going to share it with you, um, how long it's coming, um, who it's coming from. And, and, and here's, here's the thing I learned with the Thunder, and Sam Presty shared this with me. He says, if, if you're in traffic, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking back, it was a few years ago, so, you know, I'm paraphrasing. If, if you could just put yourself in traffic and just stand in the middle of traffic, information is swirling all around you. It's all around you. You just got to open your ears and open your eyes. And, and, and people may not be having a conversation with you, but they're having a conversation that's important to you. They may be talking about a kid that you're recruiting or a family that you're recruiting that they're unaware that you're recruiting them. And all you got to do is just be in traffic. Just stand in traffic and information is swirling all around you. And you just got to just take it all in. You don't even have to interrupt that person. And in many cases, in my, in my opinion, when you interrupt someone from sharing that information, they become guarded and then they don't give it to you because they, they may have a vested uh, interest in, in, the, in the fight. So sometimes they're, they're having a conversation with another person and you just happen to be a fly on the wall. Just hang out on the wall. Hang out on the wall and take in all that information. So it's unpredictable. You don't know when it's coming. Um, I got a few notes here, so just bear with me. Um, this is really critical, and I think, I think again, I credit this to, to the Thunder. Um, they were just real generous in allowing me to, to be a part of it and, and showing me how they do it. How you organize the information will determine whether you're successful in getting the prospect. So how you gather that information is going to determine whether you get the prospect or not. For example, we're, we're all busy. I, I'm, I'm, I'm married. I've got a 22-year-old daughter who's graduating in a, in a few weeks. I got a 17-year-old son. I got a 15-year-old son. Like, we've got a million things going on. So if one of you guys were to share something with me, I'm, I'm trying to create a habit of immediately the first 15 seconds that you tell me that information, I'm writing it down. Because after 15 seconds, generally, that information gets lost. Or, 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 or it becomes a different story. So, so what happens is what you thought you had at 3 o'clock becomes distorted by 
which then becomes confusing by 3.30, which then you mislead your head coach or you mislead yourself if you are the head coach. So, so the minute you say, if Sam says to me, Chuck, like, hey, man, I, I can't recruit this kid because he's, he wants to play at the highest level or a higher level or, or whatever, and he has an uncle in Charlotte, I'm writing that down immediately. Because if I don't write it down, between the time that Sam shares that information with me, my wife is calling me, my son wants me to rebound for him, my daughter's asking for help. And by 3.30, I think Charlotte is, you know, Raleigh. And I'm trying to track a guy down in Raleigh that does not exist. And as I'm doing that, the other teams in our league have beat me to it, and, and I'm on the outside looking in. And that's how quickly it happens. So, um, so again, the, the guy or team or staff that organizes the information the best is usually the, the, the guy or team that, that wins that battle. Um, and, and this is one that's really interesting. And for some reason in, a, in my mind, just be, I, I grew up in New York in the Bronx before I'm older than a lot of you guys. So there was no ESPN and, and there was no, you know, cable and all that stuff. It was like the six o'clock news, the seven, the 11 o'clock news. And in my case, I was born in Puerto Rico, raised in New York. It was like the, the Spanish channel. That was it. So at 11 o'clock, right, right before the news, or at 11.25, right before the news would end, they would show the ticker at the bottom of the television set, the, the, that, the, uh, the stock market. And I was really, really young. And I didn't really understand at 7, 8, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, exactly what the stock market was. All I knew was that someone won today and someone lost today because there would be an arrow pointing up and an arrow pointing down. And then the next day, the same companies who were winning were losing. And the teams that were losing yesterday were winning today. That being said, information is like the stock market. At three o'clock, you tell your head coach, we're in, we're gonna get this kid. At 3.15, if you're not, if you're not vigilant, if you're not careful, if you're not doing all your due diligence and you're not watching that stock market, that kid has already committed 15 minutes later to someone else. So information is like the stock market. What is true today may not necessarily be true tomorrow morning. And what is true tomorrow morning may not necessarily be true tomorrow evening. There's no absolute in recruiting and there's no absolute in information. It's a running tab, and your responsibility is to, to keep tabs on it, watch it, look at it, analyze it, organize it, and then with the understanding that it's unpredictable and, and that it can change at any given time. So I, I think that's really important. Um, the other point I want to make, which has changed from the beginning of my career um, to, to, to the present time is is the amount of false information. So that makes it really, really hard to try to establish relationships because you don't know what's real and what isn't. And, and that, that's really, really hard with social media. Um, and, and to me, that's why I think it's critical that you have relationships 
um, with, with, with uh, players, coaches, communities, and not just try to recruit them. If you, if you just try to call someone when you need something, you're going to get false information because they're, they're looking at you saying, all you do is just want, want, want. You got to have a relationship with those guys. You know, it's amazing to me. This is my 22nd year, and every place I've been at, um, they're always reaching out to the alumni, asking for money. You know, can I have a million dollars? We're trying to build a new facility. My question is, have you ever called that guy before? Did you ever talk to that guy? Did you wish him a happy birthday, a happy anniversary? Or is this the first time this guy's ever heard from you? Because if this is the first time he's heard from you, and you're asking for a million dollars, that guy's hanging the phone up. That guy's not interacting with you because you're not invested in him. There's no relationship. You're just trying to recruit him and you're not trying to get him to be a part of your community. Um, and I think that was kind of the, you know, Jamie and I talked about, about um, you know, recruiting versus getting him. In today's day and age, I think it's a fascinating, to me, I'm corny that way, I think the dynamics of getting someone and recruiting someone are like on the opposite spectrums. But, but what's interesting to me is that coaches and programs are being celebrated for recruiting a kid and not getting him. So for example, if a kid says, I'm, I'm releasing my top 10 tomorrow, that's immediately on Twitter and everyone celebrates it. Man, he made the top 10, he made a top five. But only one school and one program is getting that kid. That's it, just one. So the other nine guys, they wind up getting someone that's really good, but they never, they never get acknowledged. The other nine guys never get acknowledged for the work that they've done. It, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. So for me, when I go into the recruiting process or, you know, we're trying to get a guy, I don't want to recruit that kid. I want to get him. And there's a different mindset. There's a different attitude. There's a different approach to getting someone as opposed to recruiting him. I don't want to be in the last two. I don't want to be the last three. I want to be the last man standing. That being said, you've got to, you know, make sure that all your intel, all your information that, that you've already done the legwork. So now you can walk into your, your head coach's office and say, we can get this guy. And then he's going to ask you, why do you think you can get him? And then you, you can support that with intel that you've already gathered and say, this is why we can get this guy. I'll give you an example. When I was at Drexel years ago, I'm working for Bruiser Flint, and we're looking for a point guard. And there's a kid named Jose Juan Barrera down in Miami. And he's J.J. Barrera. And, and he's putting up some numbers, I mean, some ridiculous numbers against some high-level talent. I mean, 15 assists, no turnovers, you know, 25 points. And he's doing this over and over and over again. And I'm watching him on film, and he doesn't, past the eye test in the sense that he's not a great athlete. He's not playing above the rim. He's not blowing by anyone, but he, he's playing with incredible pace. And I, and I watched the film and I'm saying that dude can really, really play. That guy's a high level guy, but there's no one else recruiting him, but Drexel and some mid majors. So I jump in and I said, let, let me try to gather as much information as I possibly can. So then I can go to Bruiser Flint and say, Brew, this kid is better than any kid on the East Coast. I don't know why they're, they're not recruiting him. I don't know why they don't view him that way, but he's better than any kid in Philly, any kid in New York. So anyhow, make a long story short, I realized that at that time, there's a guy named Frank Martin, who's at Northeastern University in Boston. And I know Frank at the time. 
I've known him for a long time. And I'm saying, okay, Frank Martin is of Cuban descent and the high school coach is of Cuban descent. The AAU coach is of Cuban descent. J.J. Barrera is born in Puerto Rico, but I couldn't gather the information fast enough and quick enough and organize it well enough for me to get to Puerto Rico and beat Frank. And the minute I knew that Frank Martin was involved and that he had been involved for a month or so, I knew I was in trouble. So at that point, I pivoted. I, I continued to call the kid and I touched base, but I knew in my heart of hearts, I'm just recruiting that kid. I'm not getting that kid. And I wasn't into recruiting him. I wanted to get him. So we moved on and, and got someone else. Um, but, but I think that's, that's, that's one of those examples of, of like, you, you got to do your homework and, and, and get yourself organized before the battle even begins. If you're trying to, if you're trying to organize that information on the fly, then it's really, really hard because recruiting, as you guys know, moves at such an incredible pace that, you know, it's just, it's just too much. It becomes overwhelming. Um, that, that being said, you know, I think it's important for all of us when you don't get J.J. Barrera. It's not the guy that you don't get. Because I wish we got him because, hell, it, you know, it turned out to be pretty good, right? But it's not the guy that you don't get. It's the guy that you get that can't play. And you're married to that guy for four years because you panic. You panic and you say, I missed out on a point guard. I got to go sign someone because my boss is on my ass or because I want to be on Twitter and get acknowledgement that I recruited someone. So you sign a guy that can't play. And, and, and I've kind of, someone taught me that early on in my career. Uh, Bobby Gonzalez was the first guy I worked for at Manhattan College. And he would say to me, it's not the guy we don't get, Chuck. It's the guy that we get that can't play. And that stuck with me my entire career. And that held true at Drexel. We didn't get J.J. Barrera, but we wound up getting some really good players who helped that program get to three Colonial Finals. And at that time, it was a one-bid league. So, you know, we, we didn't go to the NCAA tournament, but we did go to three NITs, which for us was an incredible feat uh, because we, we came from, when we got the job, we were, at the, we were in the American East. And so we leapfrogged from the American East um, in April to, to the beginning of the season in October uh, to the Colonial. So it, it, was, it was a huge leap for us. But we were able to, um, again, when we missed out on a guy, we didn't make a mistake by taking a guy that couldn't play. You know, so it's not the guy that you don't get. It's the guy you get that you're married to who can't play. And then, and then you can't get mad at that guy because you offered him the scholarship. You didn't do your homework. You didn't evaluate well enough. And, and that's on you. So now you've got to figure out a way to develop him, improve his whatever God-given talent he has. You've you got to make the best of it at that point. Um, so I don't know, man. I've been, I've been rambling uh, for, for a few minutes here. And, um, and I'm hoping that what I'm saying and what I'm sharing, I'm articulating it well enough for you guys to get. And, um, and then, you know, maybe we can interact now. If you guys have any questions or, or some of your own stories, maybe, maybe this is a time where we can kind of go back and forth. Yeah, so let's go into um, <clears throat> some uh, question and answer here, guys. We're going to let you police yourselves. If you have a question, uh, if you would, go ahead and unmute yourself and ask it. And let's, you know, try to, I don't want to say be civil or whatnot, but, you know, one at a time. And 
and do all that. I'll go ahead and start with the first question and get things rolling. And then uh, we want a ton of interaction, guys. So please go ahead and jump in. We'll do this for about 20 or 30 minutes or however long it takes. Um, but Chuck, you have worked with, worked for um, some of the big personalities in college basketball. You know, Frank, Tom Crane, uh, John Calipari, Bruiser, um, all that kind of stuff. They all work in different ways in recruiting uh, and getting players and stuff. What are some differences that you've seen in the recruiting process and all that kind of stuff between each coach that you've worked for? Well, really, is a it's a uh, it's a ref, it's a good question. It's a reflection of of the time. So so my answer is going to uh, diff. It's going to be different depending on who the coach is. So for example, when when I was at Memphis with with Cal, you know, we were in Conference USA. And that was not part of, it wasn't a power five conference. Uh, Louisville had left, Cincinnati had left, Marquette left, all those teams left for the Big East. And so it was hard to, to say, hey, we're, we're, we're a big time program. So honestly, Cal, Derek Kellogg, John Robick, Rod Strickland, we just, we were creative. And, and one thing that we did was, the one and done thing, which is which is, a, is is amazing to me. The one and done thing was essentially almost created at Memphis because we couldn't recruit, we couldn't beat Carolina in recruiting, we couldn't beat Duke in recruiting Kansas. We would walk in the gym, and I would say to Cal, like, well, we can get that guy. And the minute Carolina, Duke, and those other guys walked in, it was like, all right, let's roll. And I'm like, wait a minute, what are you, what are you talking about? Let's roll. We, we can get this guy. Cal's like, we're not beating those guys. Let's roll. We're, we're out of here. And really, so the one and done thing was really a, a concept that was created. And, and really what it was, it's like, look, we had a kid named uh, Darius Washington. Little point guard was pretty good. And, and ourselves, our, our pitch was, was to, the, to the upcoming guy, the next guy was, was hey, Darius is going to the league. Like, because he wanted to go to the league. He wanted to go and play, but we don't know that at the time, but he winds up having a pretty good career. And, and he, we had another kid named Rodney Cart, uh, Cartney from uh, Indianapolis who also left early. And, and what we realize is when the kids leave early, you know, how are we doing this? How are we recruiting at this level, at this pace? And what we, what we attempted to do, and again, there was, no, there was no game plan at the time. We tried to tell kids as you're recruiting who felt the pressure of, of the, the power five schools, Hey, commit, commit, commit. We went the other way. And I think this is where I think Cal was really, really good. We went the other way. We said, no, no, don't, don't commit now. Like take your time. There's a big decision for you. And really we were hoping that we had a really good season and that the season became an infomercial for us and that the, the season was an infomercial for the kid. So now Darius says, I'm actually leaving. And it's like, great. We're going to go get Derrick Rose. So you get Derrick and you try it again, and you're like, I don't really know if this is going to work, but whatever. We ain't beating Carolina, Duke, and Kansas straight up, so let's try it. So here comes Tariq uh, Evans, and he's got all these schools, and we're like, everyone's pressuring him. Like, hey, man, sign now. We're going to move forward and sign someone else. And we went the other way. We said, no, 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 take your time. Big decision. Watch. Watch what happens to Derrick. And we got lucky. We had a great year, go to national championship game. It became an infomercial for us. Derek leaves early. Here comes Tariq. Man, we're on to something. We're on to something with this one and done thing. And then here comes the next guy, 
John Wall, yo, yo, hold on. Don't sign early. So at the time, it was, I guess, the concept or the idea was, was, was I don't want to say created, because, you know, I'm sure other coaches were thinking along the same lines, and, and we weren't the only ones. There are a bunch of really good coaches and really good recruiters. But for sure, I, I felt like we were on to something with, the, with, with delaying the commitment of kids that we weren't going to get early anyhow. We weren't going to beat Carolina. But Carolina was going to move on and get someone else. And Duke was going to move on and get someone else. And Kansas could afford to go get someone else. So by us slowing the process down, we were allowed to be the last man standing and signing him in April. Now, that was in 2008, 2006. Um, things have changed, you know. Um, at, at Indiana, it was a little bit different. We were able to uh, evaluate, I think, better than most. I thought Tom is incredible. Tom Crean is, to me, in my opinion, one of the better evaluators in the country. So when we took OG Ananobi, people laughed at us at Indiana. They couldn't even pronounce his last name. They wanted us to take a kid from the state of Indiana who was a really good player. And I get it. It's Indiana, the Hoosier State. We should take the in-state kid. But OG Ananobi wound up being the 23rd pick in the first round after he was injured. If he were not injured, he would have been a lottery pick. And, and OG was told by a number of schools that I won't repeat that he was a Division II, Division III center. And what we saw, we saw a six-foot-eight wing who happened to be the biggest guy on his team, and that's why he's playing center. And so we would – Tom was meticulous at watching high school film, even if the film was awful. And no disrespect to the high school, some of the film was awful. You know, like you just – it was grainy. You can't really see it. You know, it's shadows. You miss possessions. But we were meticulous at watching the film and evaluating. And the one thing we kept watching was a six-foot-seven guy outside the three-point line making threes. And we're saying to ourselves, that guy is not a center. That guy is a guard who happens to be 6'8". So at IU, we evaluated better. And OG Ananobi is an example of that. Jawan Morgan, I think, was a top, top, I don't think he was a top 50, top 150 player. He was maybe top 170, top 175. And he just signed with the Utah Jazz. He's another kid we took because we evaluated differently. You know, we, we, we didn't just recruit him. We, we, we said, let's out-evaluate the other, the other guys in the league and the other guys in the country. So IU was different. And then, and then Frank, I think, is super underrated. Um, I, I think what Frank has done a great job of, and, and I'm still learning, he does a phenomenal job of getting the guy that fits him. That guy can be a guy who had no scholarship offers, none whatsoever. And Dwayne Notice was going to, if I'm not mistaken, Duquesne. Dwayne Notice became the catalyst for that Final Four run because he was by far one of the top five defensive players in the country. But he was going to Duquesne. And people thought that that was a stretch for him, that he couldn't play at Duquesne. But Frank said, that guy fits me. He fits our program. He fits our culture. And I think Frank is, is unbelievable. He's great at this, at not budging and not panicking when other people criticize. He ain't good enough. He's not big enough. He's not fast enough. We, we, there were a handful of kids in state who were really good players. And they wound up going somewhere else. But we got A.J. Lawson and Jermaine Cousinard, who are two of the better guards in the SEC. 
those guys fit us. Those guys have a chance to help us win a lot of games. And those guys have a chance to move on and play at the next level. And, and so, so I think I'm learning after 22 years in the profession, I've learned a ton from Frank in the past three years. Don't panic. Don't worry about rankings. Like, do your job, evaluate, and does he fit your culture? Just because the kid is bigger, stronger, faster, rated higher, he does not fit us, don't take him. And I think too often we, we want um, the acknowledgement that we can get a kid, that we can out-recruit someone. And you do. Every once in a while you wind up getting that four-star, five-star guy. But he does not fit you. So you don't, you don't have the season that you wish you could have, and that kid doesn't have the impact that you thought he would. And, he, and maybe he would somewhere else, but not in your culture. 